for the word of God. We thank you, Father, for blessing us with your word that's empowered by your spirit, Father, to cause us to be triumphant in all the things that we approach in this life. We thank you that your word reveals your will and plan, Father, for the earth and that your spirit reveals your will and plan for individual lives. And so we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's open our, our Bibles to the book of Philippians. We'll continue there uh, this evening. Of course, we've been going through the book of Philippians, and uh, we've not made it too awful far into it, but um, um, let's see. And we were here, of course, last Wednesday, but we didn't get very far in the book of Philippians last Wednesday. Uh, but that's okay. You know, we can take a little side journey as we need to on occasion. And if you remember, kind of overall, the book of Philippians is really kind of a love letter to the uh, church at Philippi, which is in the area of Macedonia, which is on the north side of, uh, uh, of the Mediterranean Sea. And um, this church has been a big supporter of Paul and been with him kind of through thick and thin, been with him as long as they've known him and never left him and never forsook him. Um, and, uh, and so he's writing a letter to them, thanking them for uh, their prayers and their financial support and other support that they provided to him. Uh, and of course, uh, we know where was Paul when he wrote this particular letter? He was in prison, right? In Roman prison. Uh, and um, Paul had a lot of favor, even though he was in prison. He had a lot of favor that the, uh, it was really odd in the, Roman, in the Roman prison system because he was a Roman citizen. So a Roman citizen has got a lot more favor than a non-Roman citizen. So being a Roman citizen by birth, he had a lot of favor. And so they allowed him to uh, meet with people. They allowed people to come visit Paul. They allowed Paul to write letters to people. So he, uh, although he was constrained as far as traveling, um, he was able to conduct much of his work as the, as the great apostle Paul uh, while in prison, right? And so, um, so uh, and that's, that's how he ended up with this particular letter, right? So he wrote these folks this letter. So uh, we had talked, uh, not last week, I guess, but the last time uh, before that about, um, I think in verse, uh, in verse 12, where Paul said, but I would, ye, but I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened to happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Uh, and so, a lot of things have happened to him, including being uh, imprisoned. And so, you know, some people uh, believe that Paul was out of the will of God um, because he got he got uh, arrested in Jerusalem, and then through a long series of events ended up uh, arriving at Rome in prison and wrote these letters. Uh, and they based that partially on some of the scriptures in the book of Acts, but we went through all of that. And, of course, you can go back and listen to those if, if you want to the details. But I think if you go through the scriptures uh, of what was said and done by the prophets and, and by the Spirit of God, uh, I, the conclusion I come to reading that carefully is that he didn't miss it. He knew that it was going to happen, but the Lord never said, don't go. Uh, he, the Lord just said, hey, it's going to happen. And so, um, you know, a lot of times the Lord will tell you things before it happens, not necessarily to, um, to tell you to not do that. You know, in this case, it was to advance the gospel, that, not so much that he was being captured for that, but his job was to advance the gospel. And in doing that, he was going to make a lot of people unhappy. And, of course, nearly everywhere he went, the Jews would oftentimes get mad at him Many times the Gentiles would get mad at him because he'd come in there and say, well, you know, your God that you serve is not really a real God. It's just a baby God, you know. And, and of course, people who spend their whole lives, and not just that, in the book of Acts, if you read the stories, you know, some people, they didn't even care about the doctrinal aspect of Paul's uh, uh, teaching or preaching. They were concerned that they were going to lose money because if people stopped worshiping their gods, then they would stop buying their idols, right? And so... So as it is a lot of times, follow the money and you'll find out why people get mad, right? Uh, and so, so Paul, you know, he didn't miss God by doing that. Remember what Jesus had told him that I'll show you the great things you're going to have to suffer for my sake, right? And the gospel's sake. Uh, and, you know, that's, uh, we had talked not long ago about Christian suffering. And persecution is really the only Christian suffering that, um, you know, I don't even like to say that the God... Um, God, it's God's will, because I don't believe it's God's will that you suffer, but uh, in the need to accomplish God's will, there may be suffering. So in the need to go to a certain place 
and preach the gospel, there may be suffering that's, that will take place because of that. Uh, and it's not so much for your benefit. You know, some people uh, feel like they're suffering to become more righteous or more pious. Uh, it, it's, it's not got anything to do with helping you. It's got to do with the fact that you need to help them. And in order to help them, uh, you may have to suffer along the way in order to get them the gospel. Uh, and, uh, you know, was, was Jesus ever persecuted when he was on the earth? All the time, right? I mean, that's all everything. I mean, and you'd think of Jesus, I mean, it's like persecuting a baby seal, right? I mean, what did he ever do actually wrong? Except he made the religious people mad all the time uh, because he's breathing air and, and they didn't like that. Uh, and so, but then, you know, a lot of times because of that suffering and persecution, Christians will take that and say, well, I'm suffering in sickness and disease uh, for the Lord too. But did Jesus ever suffer from sickness and disease for the Lord? Did he ever suffer sickness and disease at all? No, he never suffered any sickness or disease, whether for the Lord or any other way. Uh, and, you know, people will say that Paul suffered sickness and disease. And we've talked about that many times, about how the thorn in the flesh was never a sickness and disease, that the scriptures back up, that it was always talking about people. And um, you ever had a thorn in your side that's a person? Right. And you think, well, they're a thorn. All they, what do they do? They're just annoying all the time. Right. You have people that just every time you see them, they're annoying. Well, that's uh, or, or worse. Right. Or persecute you. Right. Well, that's a thorn in the flesh. And do you like dealing with people that are thorns in your flesh? No. Uh, can it be wearying and exhausting to deal with people that are a thorn in your flesh? It can be. And so why do you think Paul was motivated to pray three times for the Lord to remove that from his life? Because it's annoying and exhausting. Right. And so. Um, so Paul never suffered sickness and disease that we know of. There's no record of him suffering sickness. Now, he was, he was actually left for dead one time, right? He was uh, uh, hit with stones, drug out of the city, left for dead. And, of course, the Lord raised him up uh, immediately there uh, as the disciples stood around him, right? So they hadn't even buried him. Uh, they, they were just standing around going, what do we do now? And then he got up off the ground, right? And he went on and preached after that. Well, somebody who is just dead from being stoned is typically not in a physical, uh, in, in a position physically to go do anything, right? They're going to go somewhere and recover. But the Lord raised him up and healed him, and he went on to, to continue preaching. Uh, and so, so I don't believe that Paul was out of the will of God. I think that he knew it was the will of God that these things were going to happen, but he was compelled to go, right? He was, I have to go. I have to go to Jerusalem, and then eventually then I have to go to Rome, because the Lord appeared to him later on and says, you've got to go to Rome. Uh, and, and you think if he was out of the will of God, the, the Lord would have said, hey, you're out of my will, so, you know, uh, it's too bad, you know, you're going to suffer these things unjustly or un unnecessarily. Uh, but the Lord never said that. The Lord, in fact, appeared to him, you know, a couple of times after that uh, event started occurring. And as far as we have, there's no record of him telling Paul that he was out of his will. So, you know, I think it's, a, it's just from reading these things that um, when it comes to the ministry and preaching the gospel, that there are things that will happen to you that could happen to you uh, in the area of persecution. And that's sometimes part of the job. Uh, and, you know, the only struggle that I've ever had with that is not that I, you know, I'm afraid to be persecuted. Um, but, you know, when I look at the life of the Lord Jesus, although he was persecuted all of his ministry, right? And really none, not any until he was baptized in the River Jordan with, with uh, uh, John the Baptist. Uh, but from that time to the, to the time of the cross, he was threatened many times, right? Remember, they picked him up, going to carry him, throw him over a cliff, right? And, 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 and to kill him. And yet every single time he walked through the midst of them. Uh, and so... Uh, I don't have an answer for that. You know, I've, I've meditated on a lot and read a lot about it, you know, but I've never really had a good answer of, is that something that we as children of the New Testament, is that an option for us? Could we also, uh, using the authority of the name of Jesus and the miracle power of the Holy Spirit, could we also uh, get out of persecution? You know, Peter was... was uh, uh, taken out of the prison supernaturally by an angel, right? Remember that? Uh, and so there, there were other times that, um, um, that they, of course, when they, they were brought before the, the council there, right? The, the high priest, Peter and John were, and they were whipped and beat there and let go. 
but that never happened to Jesus until he allowed it to happen, right? Until they captured him in the garden, in the garden of Gethsemane there and then uh, had, had the trial and all of that. And, of course, they beat him beyond the recognition of a man. And so, um, so it's a good question for us to think about, right? I said, I don't have an answer for it because I don't have any promise that the Lord said specifically about persecution that he'll get you out of it. I know the Old Testament says that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. But, of course, you know, you can look at that a couple of different ways, right? That having gone through it, the Lord will get you out of it. You know, having suffered, he may get you out of it. Uh, so I don't have any book, chapter, and verse that says we can avoid it. I just have the example of the life of Jesus. But nobody in the, in the, God, in the, in the book of Acts seems like nobody was able to avoid it entirely, right? Pete, although Peter was supernaturally rescued from prison, um, he was beaten many times, right? Uh, and, of course, James was killed. Uh, and uh, John lived through all of it. Um, but if you remember, uh, historically, uh, for example, the Apostle John was the last apostle, last apostle of the Lamb to die. And the reason why he was the last one to die, because they tried to kill him, right? They put him in boiling oil, at least the his- history tells us that. And they couldn't kill him. So then they, then they got scared, right? And so they, they um, uh, exiled him to the island of Patmos, right? Uh, so... Um, uh, although he didn't die, you know, it surely wouldn't have been comfortable to put in, be put in boiling oil, right? Uh, you, you ever had a little uh, spackle of oil uh, jump out of a frying pan if you're frying something, you know, bacon or a hamburger or something, and one little dot of oil, and, and you know, go cry, you know, and get a tunic, you know, I mean, get a, a sling, and, you know, all, you know, I mean, you know, the whole works, right? You cry a little bit, and band-aids, and, you know, sutures and everything, but uh, he was putting in a pot of boiling oil and survived right so you know we don't know the details of you know uh, was it more like uh sadrach meshach and abednego when they were put in the fire furnace and came out not smelling like smoke or did he actually suffer during the time we don't know so um you know you look at that example with with uh, daniel and the lion's den and shadrach meshach and abednego they were persecuted right but when they were thrown in a fire furnace uh, did they, they burn up? Did they come out with scars and wounds or uh, of any kind? No. In fact, they, didn't, they came out not even smelling like smoke. So, you know, is that a place that we as the church could get to? Is that a place where we could live in, right? I don't know the answer to that question, but I see from examples both in the Lord Jesus and in even some other examples along the way that uh, sometimes that did happen where they were able to get out of persecution without any physical harm, right? The threat of physical harm was there, but no actual physical harm occurred. So uh, for Paul, that didn't happen, right? He was beat many times. Uh, in fact, I think it's about a, nearly 200 lashes total he took in his life, at least when he, when he gave us the record of it. Uh, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of lashes, right? And these weren't just small lashes. These are, you know, those, those cat of nine tails and the types of whips that were intended to inflict great pain upon you. And so he, he was persecuted severely. Now, again, could he have used his faith to avoid some of that pain and agony? You know, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I think uh, if that ever occurs, you have to decide in that moment and talk to the Lord about it. Lord, is this something that I can avoid and get out of, right? Um, and so, but I don't believe he missed God at all. I think that it was God's destiny and, and plan and intent that he go to Jerusalem and then he go and eventually go to Rome. And um, uh, along the way, he was able to talk to governors and kings, right? He eventually, uh, as far as we know, went to Caesar even and, and um, got that far up in the, in, into the whole hierarchy of Rome. Uh, and so and we'll see some other things here that uh, he had a big impact in Rome while he was there. So, uh, so I, don't, I don't believe that, uh, 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 that he missed God. In fact, uh, let's read verse 13 there, uh, Philippians chapter 1. It says, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in, in all the palace, and in all other places. And one translation says, so that it has become evident to the entire palace and to every other place that my chains are in Christ. So uh, in this case, Paul was in jail for a couple of years. Uh, and uh, if he was under house arrest, so he was probably in a Roman prison for a while. After a while, he was put under house arrest, which they take him out of the prison and they chain a Roman guard to him. Uh, so Although it's not in the difficulty of the prison, he still has a Roman guard chained to him. Uh, but see, in the palace there in Rome, uh, in whichever palace it was, I think the implication is Caesar's palace, but 
it had gotten word uh, to them about this Apostle Paul. And, and he said that it's manifest in all of the palace and in all other places uh, that his bonds are in Christ. So they knew that uh, everybody knew that the testimony of Paul was that he was a Christian and he was there to serve the Lord. Uh, and so, um, so in that regard, you know, during that time, although it was inconvenient to be chained to a Roman guard, he was able to still preach the gospel, right? And to witness to, you, you know, no doubt he, he uh, for sure tried and probably succeeded at getting every Roman guard attached to him saved, right? Because uh, he, he did that at, at Philippi, right? Remember that? Where the, where the uh, uh, guard there um, got saved and his whole family got saved because of the miracle of, of Paul and Silas praying. Uh, and and so, uh, so he was still doing his work. He was always doing the work of the evangelist, right? He was always doing the work of the apostle and getting people born again. And so, so you know, as we continue reading, you're going to sense that from Paul's perspective, all this suffering, not any really big deal. Because as long as the gospel is going forward, he doesn't really care what things he has to suffer. And of course, we see a, we, we see a lot of him, uh, a lot of statements like that from him in this particular book, uh, in the book of Philippians. So uh, everybody knew about Paul uh, in the whole palace, right? Who is this? Uh, uh, who is this Jew, right? Who who is this person from Israel uh, that uh, stands up to the Roman government? So uh, they took notice of it, didn't they? Amen. Uh, and so it says in verse 14, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So what was one of the great uh, benefits of Paul being the example of the suffering and still having a good attitude, still being successful? It emboldened all of the other Christians in the area and really everywhere that knew they knew of Paul that Hey, if, if, if I have to stand up to the government uh, to preach the gospel, then, you know, if, I, if it's in, uh, against the entire uh, Roman government, then so be it. Because a lot of Christians will live in fear. A lot of Christians live in fear of the government, you know, live in fear of what the government might do to you, right? Uh, and, um, you know, I thank, I thank the Lord that we live uh, in our particular country, but... You know, every now and then the government will rise, raise up its head and try to tell the church to shut up, right? Tell the church to what to do. And uh, in fact, there was a uh, down in Houston, I don't know if you remember the story, but it was probably, I don't know, 10 years ago or so. You know, there was a, uh, uh, there was a mayor uh, of Houston who was a lesbian. Uh, and so the churches were like, hey, you know, lesbians are terrible. And, you know, uh, I you know, from my perspective, it's sin like any other sin. You know, uh, you don't condemn people because they're in sin. But, you know, you could say, hey, well, that's sin, right? Uh, and so, um, but whatever they were preaching, you know, the mayor didn't like it. Well, you know, typically people in sin don't like any preaching, right? And it's kind of been my observation that people in sin really don't much like preaching at all. And, and um, are we going to stop preaching because people are in sin? No, I mean, that's the whole point of pe preaching. Oftentimes, it's to help people get out of sin, right? Aren't we supposed to restore people that are in sin? Well, that's our primary job, right, is to restore people and get them out of that sin. Uh, well, so she, she said, you know, you all have to stop preaching against uh, homosexuality. And in fact, you now have to uh, submit all of your sermon notes to my office for approval. And um, uh, I mean, I just can't imagine, you know, it'd be like just a big fat no. Just I'd just send them a letter certified or whatever and just say no. That's all I'd put in there. Just no. And it's not going to happen. Right. Um, and, and so uh, but they did. Right. I mean, every now and then people in government think that they're going to tell the church what to do. And a lot of the church oftentimes would just roll over. Right. Which is, well, we, uh, I mean, if you look at the whole uh, if you look at uh, uh, I think it's in in John. Let's see if we can find it here in John chapter 12. Um, Let's see if we can find it here. Um, yeah, so it's actually in John chapter 11. So what major event happened in John chapter 11? Anybody remember? They raised Lazarus from the dead, right? Uh, and so, um, so uh, were, were they happy about that? Um, and so, no, they weren't happy about that. So, uh, so right after he was raised from the dead, that was in, in uh, verse 44, right, of John chapter 11, 
It says in verse 45, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What, what do we for this man doeth many miracles? If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. Uh, and so um, it, it's... Uh, uh, in fact, another place, I don't have it right off, right off hand here. I'll find it for you, let you know. Uh, but another time they said, well, we're going to have to kill Lazarus too, right? Because uh, everybody's coming to Jesus because of the, of the uh, ministry of Lazarus, right? Uh, and so, uh, which is kind of funny because they're going to kill Lazarus. Well, what just happened to Lazarus? He was just raised from the dead. I mean, so he was raised from the dead supernaturally, and now you're going to try to kill him? I mean... Would that even work? I mean, kind of dumb. That's really how dumb people can be, right? But see, the 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 church leadership, right? Not the Christian church, but the 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 people of God, the leadership there, uh, and the, these Pharisees, uh, they were concerned about their place, right, and their relationship in the community. They could care less about the will of God. They could care less about the advancement of of the the the, uh, uh, the church of the Lord Jesus or about the the. Uh, Jehovah God at all, they were concerned about their place. And, and so you think that's the case in the church today? Well, sure. I mean, it's not every church, but there's plenty of churches who are more concerned about their place in the community and do they have a good name in the community and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so they're not going to rock any boat and the government says shut down. Well, we need to do what the government says, you know. And, uh, and uh, so does that mean we should always take up arms against the government every time they do anything? Well, no, you know, the, uh, generally speaking, if the government tells us to do something and it's not violating any principle of the Word of God, then we pretty much have to do it, right? I mean, if they say pay taxes, then we should pay taxes. In fact, Paul said to pay taxes in Romans chapter 13. Uh, does it mean we have to like everything they spend their taxes on? No. Uh, but, um, you know, you have to find that balance there, right? Because one of the things that Brother Randy was talking about, well, actually, he was talking about this when he was in Canada, so I'm not sure how that works, or right? he's talking about the rebellion in America in Canada, right? When he was preaching up there. But, but he's talking about how one of the problems in, in America is that we've got so much rebellion. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was meditating on just on him saying that uh, and just thinking about, um, you, you know, there has to be a time, you know, remember when Peter and John went to, went to the, uh, uh, the high priest and they said, um, whether we should obey God or man, you know, you decide. But we're going to obey God, right? Uh, and they told them, quit preaching in the name of Jesus. So what were they doing? They were being rebellious, right? They were rebelling against the authority of the nation there. Uh, and, and so sometimes rebellion is necessary and helpful and appropriate, right? But the problem with that mentality is uh, sometimes if we allow our flesh to get involved, we will rebel against everything. I don't have to obey no red lights, you know. I'm free you know, to do whatever I want to. I can, you know, I don't have to... I don't pay no taxes, you know, and I don't have to do this or do that. Uh, and, uh, and so sometimes that rebellion will fester and become part of our flesh as opposed to part of our spirit, right? Uh, and so didn't Jesus pay taxes, right? Remember, he, of course, he did it supernaturally, right? I'm trying to figure out how I can pay my taxes supernaturally too, right? I go fishing all the time, and I ain't found the gold coin yet. So, but if I do, I'll, I'll pay my taxes with it. So uh, until then, I'm still going to pay my taxes. Uh, and so... So you, so you got to find the balance, right? The balance has to be in the spirit. It can't be a fleshly thing. You can't be just rebelling for rebellious sake. Uh, of course, the whole nation was essentially founded on rebellion, right? We walked away in the whole Declaration of Independence, which I think is one of the greatest documents that a, a man has written. You know, it's a pretty good document, right? Uh, one of the course, human events. Uh, it's a pretty good document. You should read it sometimes. It's not a very long. It's kind of slow and boring in the middle when they start talking about all the actual things that are going on. But the, the beginning and the end is pretty good, right? Uh, and so, uh, so you have to find that, that balance in there, right? And so, you know, Paul was captured by the Romans uh, and arrested and sent to prison uh, for many years, right? Uh, and so it, sometimes, and, and, and again, there, there's no law, but sometimes in the furtherance of the gospel, there are things that we will suffer. Uh, and um, so I will leave it to your own heart to decide, you know, can I get out of this, right? I think that's, that's going to be on a case-by-case -case basis. And so um, 
Peter was supernaturally rescued from prison, right? Because uh, remember, they arrested Peter after they killed James uh, in the book of Acts. And so they were thinking, well, we killed James, so let's just kill them all. We'll go get Peter, you know, we'll kill him next and go get someone else. We'll kill them next. And that was their plan. And, and, but then, then uh, but they prayed, right? The church started praying. And so you wonder if was the church praying like that when James was arrested? I don't know. James, if they didn't, you know, James is probably still a little sore about that, right? We'll get to heaven and go, yeah, they didn't pray for me at all. You know, they prayed for Peter, got him out, let me for dead, you know. And I got, to, got home early to the Lord. Uh, so we'll find out if James is bitter about that or not when we get to heaven. But um, so, so uh, but right now, this is the case. This is, Paul's in prison, right? So that, that's the case there. And, and he said that his example of, of having a great attitude and his example of of not yielding to uh, and complying with the paganism of Rome in order to get in good with Rome has strengthened and encouraged the other Christians to keep preaching the gospel. So that's a good thing, right? And sometimes the Lord will use somebody as an example to encourage you, right? That somebody else may have suffered uh, persecution and it encourages you that, hey, it's worth the cost, whatever the cost is, right? But in the area of suffering, that to me, uh, in reading the Word of God, the whole counsel of God, that's the only suffering I ever see that Christians really are, uh, will, will have to go through or may have to go through that they can't necessarily get out of it by a promise. So I don't see any promises to get out of that, you know, in the Word of God. I see examples, but I don't see a promise, right? And, and so uh, we can believe God for it, but not based upon a promise. So, um, so I'll, let you, I'll let you figure out what you want to do. From there, right? So we're going to, we're going to leave that and, and go on. Amen. Uh, and so, so he said uh, there that uh, they're, they're uh, emboldened. And then he comes down to verse 15. He says, Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. And so, uh, you know, and in verse 16 also says, The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Uh, what then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. So these are, these are some interesting verses, 15 through 18 here, that Paul is talking about the situation that some people are preaching Christ, preaching the Lord Jesus out of envy and strife. Uh, and, and so uh, now, if you look at the context of that, he's saying whether whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, right? Uh, and so it's not that they're preaching against him, right? They're not preaching against uh, the Lord Jesus. They're preaching um, because they're envious of Paul's position. And so they see that Paul was popular. Paul was well-known. Paul's name was, was out there. and People knew about Paul. And so they were jealous of that. And they wanted that same name recognition, uh, and so they were preaching the Lord Jesus, not because they necessarily believed in the doctrine of the Lord Jesus and the fact that he was the Messiah and come in the flesh and the son of God. But they were preaching because, well, I want the same name recognition that Paul has. Right. I've been a nobody. And now Paul, look at this famous Paul. Everybody knows because he said in the in in the uh, in the palace and in everywhere. People know about me. Uh, and, and so. Uh, you know, this has been nearly 2,000 years, r- roughly 2,000 years since it's occurred. You reckon there's anybody in the pulpit preaching just because they want to be seen? You reckon there's anybody preaching because they're envious of what people have? Uh, you, you know, uh, in a small way, I remember when, when my pastor was, was, was here on the earth, right? He, he passed away, it's been many years ago now, 20, what, 14, be 15 years this year. Um, and, you know... Uh, there was about 150 people in that church. So, you know, it was a comfortably uh, good-sized church. Right? It wasn't a super big church. It wasn't a, a very small church, but just a comfortably, comfortable-sized church. And so, you know, the pastor was well taken care of. We, we you know, gave him a good salary, and I uh, was involved in much of that, helping to, uh, to define what, what his salary should be and, you know, help uh, the church help him pay his house off and got him out of debt, and the church would buy him cars on occasion, you know, and suits and things, and... Um, and so he wasn't a rich person, but, you know, he was very comfortable, right? Uh, and, um, you know, I think it's okay to take care of, of a pastor, right? I, I know I talked to one person, uh, and they said, uh, so are you still going to church? No. Well, why not? Well, the pastor gets paid too much. So I always think it's a funny statement because 
you know, my, well, my first question is, well, well, how much is too much? Is a dollar too much, you know? Well, I mean, if the church brings in, let's say, I mean, I know one ministry right now, they're bringing over $100 million a year. Just one ministry, over $100 million a year. So what could you pay that minister of that ministry? I mean, is a dollar too much? $100,000? A million dollars? I mean, you know, I don't know. None of my business, right? But, uh, well, you shouldn't get rich off the gospel, you know? Uh, and, and, you know, that, that's an unfair statement. You, you shouldn't get rich by causing other people to suffer, right? You shouldn't be rich at the, at the expense of somebody else, right? Uh, other than that, you should leave it alone. None of your business, none of my business, right? Uh, and I said, so what's, the, what's, so what's too much, right? And they finally said, well, the pastor should never make more money than the poorest person in the church. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, you know, every church has basically got at least one destitute person, right, who literally has nothing, right, who makes no money and and the church is caring for them and protecting them and helping them, right? And, and nearly every church has somebody like that, right? And, no, no, and it's okay, right? I mean, that's, if they should be anywhere, they should be in church, right? And let the church help them out and then train them and teach them how to, how to get the blessings of the Lord. And so, so that means every pastor should be destitute, right? Uh, I mean, uh, you wouldn't want to take a regular job. You go, go, to get, uh, go to your interview and you like everything about the job. Well, how much are you going to pay? Well, we're not going to actually pay you anything, you know. You've got to just work for free, right, you know? Well, I ain't working there, but they want the pastor to work for free. You know, that doesn't make any sense, right? Uh, and so I always thought that was funny, right? Pastor should make, you know, I mean, could, I said, well, where'd you get that from? You got any book, chapter, and verse for that? You know, uh, I mean, there's, uh, uh, and we know that, you know, pastors should not uh, shear the sheep, right? I mean, again, why are we here, right? So Paul was saying there are people preaching out of envy and strife because they're jealous of his position and his stature, and they want that same position of stature. And so I was telling this story with my pastor that there were people in the church who, because he lived comfortably, and on occasion the church would receive a special offering him, and sometimes it'd be thousands of dollars, right? I mean, I think the largest offering that we ever gave to him uh, that I recall was about $17,000, which is the time we wanted to help pay his house off. Uh, and so for a church that size, it's a pretty good, pretty good offering, right? $17,000. Uh, and... Uh, and so somebody, you know, I remember just, and, they, and I could hear it in their voice. Well, you know, I do a lot around here too. I, I want the church to receive an offering from me. Well, you know what that sounds like? It sounds like envy and strife, right? I mean, I did a lot of the stuff in that church. I was an elder in the church, ran the sound, ran the thermostat, you know, checked their books, wrote a lot of computer programs, you know, edited his books, um, edited his tapes, you know, I mean, Chris was on the praise and worship team, too. I mean, we did a lot of things, you know, but I can't imagine thinking I was owed anything. I mean, you know, I'm a servant of the Lord, right? And, and so, uh, so uh, but Paul said there are people there that because they see my, my position, my title, my stature, that they're jealous of that, right? In fact, so let's turn over to, to the book of James here. We'll look at what our friend James says about this situation. Uh, James chapter 3 here. Uh, now, now, Paul, remember Paul went on to say, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein rejoice. So even if someone is, uh, is saying the words with the wrong intent, now, uh, is that, is, is that going to end well for the minister? That if I'm up here only to preach for money, is that going to end well with me? Not going to end well for me at all, right? But what about the people listening to it? Well, if it's the word, the word's anointed, right? And, and you'd be surprised about how many people get blessed from a minister who, who is there for ill-gotten gain, right? Who is there only to get a paycheck, who is there only for position or title or rank or privilege or, you know, name recognition, whatever the, whatever the, uh, the motivation is other than to be a servant of the Most High God. And so James tells us here, um, Paul said some, some people are preaching of envy and strife. And so James uh, chapter 3 and verse 16 says, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. So you want to see a messed up church? Uh, you, get a, you get a church that's got a pastor who is only preaching out of envy and strife. And you will see confusion 
and every evil work inside that church, right? There'll be all kinds of sin going on in that church. There'll be all kinds of, you know, just a bunch of shenanigans there. Of course, James 3.16 is true in any endeavor, not just in preaching the gospel, but anywhere where there's envy and strife. What's going to be the fruit of that? Confusion and every evil work, right? When people are envious of people, it's amazing what people will do out of envy. How, uh, how cunning and sly and backstabbing and ruthless people will do will be uh, because of envy and jealousy. And now, who was this written to? Who was the book of James written to? The church, the church right? So was there envy and strife and confusion and every evil work in the church? Well, sure. Why would James write this unless it was happening, right? Does the Lord need to write us write things to us that we're not doing? He needs to write to us things that we are doing, right? Not necessarily we individually, but the church as a whole. Somebody in the church was involved in some of these things, right? Uh, and so is there envy and strife in churches sometimes? There is, right? I know when, um, I mean, you know, the Lord, when he, when he uh, spoke to me, uh, we told you uh, when Chris and I got married that the Lord had told me one of the things to do in that discussion was to go back to the church that I was at when I went to college because I need to learn some things. The pastor had some things to teach me, right? And of course, you know, I jokingly say that the Lord never said they were only good things. I assumed they were only good things, but they weren't just good things, right? They were some things that were wonderful, some things to note say, don't ever do this, right? Well, in that church, you know, for whatever reason, there was a lot of envy and strife, a lot of confusion, a lot of every evil work in that church. And a lot of it came because of a lot of the um, insecurities that my pastor had. So although in the realm of the spirit, he was a very, very strong, very confident person spiritually. But naturally speaking, he was very insecure because he skipped most of school. You know, he dropped out of school uh, in his senior year, had to come back and beg the principal to let him come back and repeat his whole senior year because he knew he couldn't pass a GED. He never read a single book, but by the time he graduated high school, he had never read a single book, not even a comic book, he said. Uh, but the Lord called him, saved him, got him in, in the church. But he was never able to successfully overcome his lack of confidence. He, he would say, in fact, when I first started, when I went back to church there, I was in, in the, back in school, so I had, I had some free time, and so I would go hang out at the church. And so one time he said, well, we need to go down to uh, Chattanooga and buy some office furniture for the church. Okay, sure, no problem. Let's go. You know, I, I tried to hang out with the pastor as much as I could because I knew my commission was to go learn things from him, right? Go learn how he operated and learn what he did. Not knowing that I would be a pastor someday myself, I never had designs to be a pastor, but, you know, the Lord, he's sneaky sometimes, right? He'll prepare you and then say, okay, now you prepared, now go do it, right? Uh, and so, uh, which is make it nice because, see, if I never thought I was going to be a pastor, then I had no... I wasn't ever thinking like, hey, you look a little sick today. You're going to die anytime soon? Can I have your church when you die? I mean, there was never any of that because I never really thought that I would be in the role of a pastor. So, so we, went, we, went to, um, we went to Chattanooga, and uh, he picked out whatever he's going to buy. We got to the, we got to the uh, checkout line, and he hands me the church check, and he says, fill this out. And I'm thinking, why? That doesn't make any sense. Why do you want me to fill out just your check? You know, I mean... Uh, it was just really odd to me. I, didn't, I wasn't mad or rebellious, but I just thought, that's really odd. You know, why do you want me to fill out a check? You're a check, you know? Well, I found out later on, he had no idea how to fill out a check. He didn't know how to write numbers, right? I mean, he knew how to write the numbers, but when he had to actually spell out the numbers, that just made him, in a, put him in a cold sweat. In fact, when we got married, he said, what about your vows? I said, well, we're going to write our own vows, you know? Uh, and I said, he said, well, I need to see him before, before, uh, before the wedding date. Like, okay, you know, I'm thinking, well, I just handed it to him the night before, right? We're going to go, we'll have a, we have a um, um, uh, rehearsal dinner, right? And so I'll just hand it to him at the rehearsal dinner, and he can look over. And he, no, no, I mean, every time I saw him, because we'd have, like, monthly meetings for premarital counseling, uh, I, need to, I need those now, like months in advance. And I didn't realize till later that it's because he, he was so terrified that, he, that he'd get to a word that he didn't know he would just freeze at the wedding. And so he had to have it months in advance to read it and reread it and make sure he knew every word in there before. So he just is really insecure, right? Really insecure in the natural realm. Uh, and because of that, there's all kinds of just envy and strife in the church and just jockeying for position and, and people just whispering to him about, 
you know, this guy over here, and, and then the pastor would get mad at that guy over there and didn't even know anything that was going on, right? And in fact, I remember one time um, that uh, um, we were driving in a car, and the pastor, I, the pastor was driving, and there was another fellow in the front seat, and I was in the back seat, and they were talking about one of the people on the praise and worship team, one of the, he was a bass guitar player, and just lying about him. The guy in front of me was lying to the pastor about what this guy was doing, Oh, he's doing this right here. I know he's doing this right there. You know, doing this. And, and you know, most of the time I just didn't mind in my own business. But you know, I, I just spoke up and said, you know, I, I've been there every time. That's never happened. That has never happened. But see, if I hadn't said that, the, and, and really, even though I said that, the pastor still believed the fellow in the front seat, right? Because that that whole envy and strife, all that strife like that, that the, my pastor fed on that for whatever reason. I, to this day, I don't know why. And he left this earth early. And I believe part of that was, was that reason why. Because there's just so much strife in that small church, right? I mean, it was, uh, I mean, it was bigger than our church, but it's just so much strife all the time. And it seemed like if it, if it was ever at peace, he'd go stir something up, right? And, and, um, and it's just crazy, when it? I mean, just insane. I mean, the church could have been a world-changing church that had some of the most amazing, talented people in that size of a church you know, we've been at churches a thousand people and not have as good praise and worship as we had in that small church. Right. And just uh, and the pastor loved the spirit of God, loved the word of God. But for whatever reason, in that area, there was a lot of envy and strife. And because of that, there was confusion. Where are we going? What are we doing? Uh, and every evil work. I mean, just backbiting and backstabbing and politicking. And uh, I mean, just uh, blah, 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 just all the time. It was exhausting, you know, spiritually, it was exhausting. And, uh, and, you know, looking back, you know, it just um, it was a shame to see such a such a mighty move of God wasted on such carnality. Right uh, now, the Lord will always move where people allow him to move. Right. And people would let, let the spirit of God move and he would do that, you know, but then there would be all the strife and envy. And so and so it goes back to this thing, this thing right here. Right. Well, I said. Some of the people, well, you know, I do stuff. I want to have a, I want to receive, I want to have an offering received for me too. Well, that's envy. I mean, that is complete jealousy of the pulpit. And there are, I mean, even in the size of our church, I've had plenty of people be jealous because I stand behind the pulpit. And they want to stand behind the pulpit. Like, well, go buy your own pulpit. I mean, they're cheap, right? I made this one. This doesn't cost me anything, right? You know, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's held up pretty good for as long as we've had it. Uh, and um, let's go make your own pulpit, right? Anybody can make their own pulpit, uh, and if you can't, you can. We bought that one. That one came from Boston. You know, you can buy one like that. It's pretty fancy there, um, and so. Uh, but you know, it's amazing how many people are jealous and envious of things, right? Positions and titles, and uh, and it doesn't matter how big or small. I mean, we're not exactly the largest church. We're the largest church on this block, right? But um, you know, <laughs> uh, and so. Um, but it, isn't it amazing that people would be envious and jealous of this, t- of this church and this pulpit right here, right? Uh, and uh, you know why that is going to happen? Because people are breathing air. Right? As long as people are breathing air, somebody's going to be envious, somebody's going to be jealous. And what follows people like that is confusion and every evil work. They're all the time stirring up stuff, keeping people on edge. You know, not, they're not sure what's going on. People will be confused. And then every evil work, right? Now, this is in the church, every evil work in the church, right? And so, you know, from my perspective, that's one of the things that I learned from my pastor is, um, number one is I don't allow any of that stuff to go on. Politicking, jockeying for position, you know, just none of that. You know, we're all servants of the Most High God. We're all here to serve, right? I'm here to serve you. You're here to serve the Lord. We're all here to serve each other. Uh, we're all servants of the Most High God. No this jockeying for position and, you know, and you want to come rat on me to somebody about somebody else in the church, we're not going to get along really well unless it's, you know, unless it's going to cause the church to burn down right now, you know, uh, or the Lord really impresses you to do that. I mean, you know, there can be exceptions to that. But if you just want to gossip about somebody in the church, we won't get along well because all it is is stirring things up, strife, right? Just strife. Uh, because if they're not with you, then it's just he said, she said, right? Uh, you know, the Bible says out of, let, let, uh, out of mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So if you've only got one witness and you're coming to me, how is that even biblical, right? Mm-hmm. Unless there's more, more than one person that's seen that or done that or whatever, you know, then, then and of course, you know, Matthew chapter 18 talks about some of those things. Go to that person first, try to deal with that, you know, and then eventually you may still have to bring it to the pastor, but what have you tried to, to accomplish before you came to me? 
Uh, and, you know, of course, uh, like I said, we're not, we're not a large church, so I don't see a whole lot of that. But on occasion, I've had people come and try to rat somebody else out of the church. And I said, well, I can't deal with them because uh, you're the only one here. Uh, and they don't like that answer, but, you know, uh, and, you know, I can usually tell. I mean, I had one person, um, somebody one, during, um, it was just during praise and worship, I think, somebody was just uh, uh, praying in other tongues and um, uh, kind of minding their own business, right? Just worshiping the Lord in other tongues. Is that okay? Perfectly okay, right? Won't bother me a bit. You want to pray in tongues? Praise God, you know. Now, don't do it right now because I'm preaching, right? But if I'm not preaching, if we're just singing, sing in tongues, all right? I mean, sing whatever language you want to. Not, uh, any problem with that at all? No problem. No, nothing biblically wrong with that at all. Uh, and, and this person who knows nothing, nothing about the Bible says, well, that's not biblical. You know, they came to me. That's not biblical, you know. Uh, how dare they speak in tongues? You know, Bible says, you know, that uh, unless they interpret, you know, be quiet. You know, and you, I could just feel my blood just... Because first of all, they weren't hurting nobody. Weren't bothering you, nobody, nobody in the whole world. Being, in fact, the Lord was very pleased with any worship at all, right? I mean, you're, you're singing in the Spirit. Didn't Jesus say that they that worship Him must worship Him in what? In Spirit and truth. I mean, you can't get any more in the Spirit than, than literally praising Him in the Spirit, right? That's pretty much exactly what Jesus said, right? So... Uh, and, you know, I just had to bite my tongue because, I mean, I just you know, ripped their little, little uh, uh, heads off because they're so petty, right? And, but they were doing that, number one, to cause strife and to diminish this person over here and try to elevate themselves, right? Well, Brother Hagen always said, I like what he said, he said, you can never make your candle shine brighter by putting somebody else's out. I think that's a pretty good statement, right? Uh, and so what were, they, what were they trying to do? They were trying to rat on this person over there and i heard them doing it and i'm thrilled right anytime i hear anybody praising god and of any way right english or in the spirit it just lifts encourages me right I'm, I'm glad for it amen and we all should be glad for it but this is just a little uh tail bearer right somebody who's just trying to stir things up strife it's just it's just garden variety strife and where envy and strife is there's what confusion and every evil work and that person right there left church right they borrowed a bunch of money from the church, said they were going to pay it all back. They pay a dime of it back. Not a penny, right? Not mad at anybody, right? The Lord said, I had no problem doing it because the Lord said, do it. But did they ever pay the church back? No. Uh, and so, uh, so they left. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, they probably haven't said many good things about this church, but I don't really care, you know. I mean, now if they came back, I'd, you know, I'd shake their hand, hug their neck, you know, and let them uh, repent, you know, uh, if they wanted to. <laughs> and so, but see, stuff like that goes on all the time in churches, right? Envy and strife, envy and strife, right? Uh, and so uh, I nipped it in a bud right there. This is not going to go past this conversation, you know. And I said, there's nothing wrong with what she did uh, by singing like that in the spirit. Uh, and, um, uh, but, um, I, and I'm glad they didn't talk to me about it a second time because, you know, it, it just, it wouldn't have been good, right? Uh, it wouldn't have been good for, for them to do that because, number one, that person was innocent. And when you attack an innocent person, you know who doesn't like that the most? The Lord, right? Remember we talked about Psalm 18 a while back. Uh, you want to get the, the Lord upset, you know? Uh, you know, the billowing clouds of thunder, right? Uh, smoke coming out of his nostrils. That's what Psalm 18 says, right? Because David was innocent. Uh, and uh, you want to see the Lord uh, blow some uh, billowing smoke out of his nostrils? Just go attack an innocent person, right? And you will not be the Lord's favorite person at that point in time. Amen? Uh, so, we, uh, so to me, this is a warning, right? Why are we behind the pulpit? Why am I behind the pulpit, right? And, and when I read this, I think about me. I don't think about you. I think about me. Why am I here? Am I here out of envy and strife, am I here because I want to be somebody and have a name and be famous? Uh, you know, I remember we watched some of those uh, some of those singing shows, and you know, so many of those singers, they learned how to sing by being on a praise and worship team at a church, right? Uh, they learned how to flow with their anointing, right? They learned how to flow with the gift that the Lord had given to them. But I remember uh, more than one of them that were praise and worship leaders. They said, "Well, why? You know, why you want to win this? Well, I, I just, I just." really want to be famous. And I'm thinking, you're, you're, you're 
drawing people into the presence of the Most High God with worship. And that's not good enough for you. You want to be known, right? You want to be seen. You want to have fame and fortune. I mean, that, that is complete envy and strife, right? Yeah, I mean, so if they're wanting that in the, in the singing competition, what do you think they're wanting when they're singing at the microphone at church? I want to be famous, right? I want, to be fa- I want a bigger church. I want to be more, more famous here. And, um, um, you know, there, there was a story. In fact, it's one of uh, Brother Hagin's uh, famous stories that he would tell um, uh, in, in relation to that. It's the same exact thing there that uh, there was a pastor of a church and his wife was a singer. Uh, and I'm a pastor of a church and my wife is a singer. So this is not talking about her, just in no, case, you know, uh, Brother Hagin was gone a, lo- a long time ago. Right. Uh, but anyway, so uh, and, and Brother Hagin said she was beautiful. He said she would walk in the room and all the heads would turn because she just was one of those people who just was beautiful. He just beautiful to look at and uh, and just dressed beautifully. And uh, and so uh, and she was an amazing singer. Uh, and he said that and the Lord showed him this in a vision The Lord appeared to him in a vision and showed him this whole sequence of events. He, he showed how the devil went up to her and whispered her in her ear and said, you know, you could be famous, uh, but here you are a servant of God. Nobody knows you, but if you'd been in the world, you could have been famous in the world. People would have known your name and would have uh, come and, and, you know, gave you uh, fame and fortune and all these things. And, and she said, get thee behind me, Satan. Uh, and, but, you know, the devil's smart. You ever, you ever had somebody say no and you know they don't really mean no? They're saying no because that's what they're supposed to say, but they don't really mean it. And so he left for a season and came back. And said, you know, you, you've missed out on so much. You could have been in the world with fame and fortune and people would have known your name and you could have, you know, commanded thousands of people in, in coliseums and whatever, you know, that sort of thing. And, uh, and you know, you're beautiful and, and, and yet you're serving in a small church, you know, and nobody knows your name. And again, get thee behind me, Satan. But then eventually, uh, the Lord said that uh, the devil came to her and tempted her again. And she paused uh, and, and he said he saw like a black dot go from her mind down to her, her heart. Uh, and that uh, after that, then she left the church, left her pastor uh, and uh, went out into the world uh, and started sleeping around. And, and just really, you know, drugs and alcohol, I'm sure all this stuff uh, ensued after that. And see, the thing was before that, she, you know, some people... They always live with one foot in the world, one foot in the church. You know, people like that, right? They're always wanting to, well, you know, I don't want to give up the world because, you know, there's some fun out there. I mean, I want to do, you know, stay in the church because there's good fire insurance, life insurance, that sort of thing. But the world's got a lot of fun, right? And so we don't want to just be radical and just be just sold up for God, right? So we'll keep one. Well, she wasn't that kind of person, right? And, and nobody looked at her and said, well, you're, you know, that you're that kind of person. Uh, and so... Uh, so, you know, it, it kept on and, and finally somebody went to, uh, they found her at a hotel room and they knocked on the door and she'd been there with a man and, and came out uh, completely inappropriately dressed and, and said, uh, I know why you're here. I don't want anything to do with, uh, with uh, Jesus at all. And the, Lord, and, and, and the Lord said the end of that person's life and he went through the whole thing about the unpardonable sin or the unpardonable sin, but the sin of the death there in John chapter 5 and how uh, the Lord said she will spend eternity in the region of the damned because of that, because of what she was before, and she knew all, you know, she, she fulfilled all the requirements of, uh, of Hebrews chapter 6 there. Uh, and so not everybody can do that, but she was qualified to do that. She knew enough about the Lord and move, move with gifts of the Spirit uh, to be qualified to leave the Lord, right, uh, and to do those things. And so... But I always thought it was an interesting thing what the Lord told Brother Hagin that, and it, it lines up with the Word of God. So just because Brother Hagin said it and, and somebody said that Jesus appeared to them, it doesn't matter, doesn't line up with the Word, right? So, but the Lord told Brother Hagin, said, if she'd been with a hundred men and repented, he said, I'd, I'd let her come back. And see, a lot of the people in church say, if you commit adultery one time, we're going to shoot you and bury you in the backyard, and you're never allowed to do anything ever again for the Lord. Now, that's what the Lord said, and from my reading of the Word, that's possible, right? You can repent, you can get back right with the Lord, right? Uh, and so, um, I mean, didn't Peter? Peter literally forsook the Lord, right? 
uh, you know, and not sin unto death like that. He did it out of pressure, right? Out of the pressure of persecution. And so it was, it was not so much as a choice, but a yielding to the pressure of his flesh. Uh, so, you know, the Lord had mercy on him, but um, he walked away from the Lord, came back and was a great servant of the Lord for many years, right? Uh, and so, so envy and strife, you know, jealousy, envy and strife, you know, you think, well, that's just, you know, just envy and strife, but it, it will lead to, to terrible events, right? If you don't guard that in your heart, you should always be happy for people, right? Some people say, well, I can't believe that, that minister's got a jet plane. Uh, thank God that they got a jet plane. Lord, let, let, let them get two of them because I'm, I'm never going to be jealous of it. You hear these small-minded people get jealous because some minister's got a big ministry. Uh, you know, they, they shouldn't have all that money. What's it to you? Any of my business? Not any of my business, right? I don't know how much money that person, that ministry brings in. People go mad, you know, and they just pick them all out of the, you know, what about that minister? What about that minister? None of my business. I'm glad for it, you know. Uh, praise God. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad they're able to do that because I will not be found to be envious of somebody else's position, title, finances, income, whatever, right? Uh, and, and many times in a church, small-minded people are jealous and envious over the success of other people either the success of other ministers. I know some ministers will preach uh, hard against big churches. Well, if you're a big church, you know, there's no way you can be serving God. And you know why they say that? Because you're envious of not having a big church, right? Uh, and, and, I mean, how many people were in the church of Jerusalem? One estimate was there was 80,000 people. That's kind of a big church, right? Was the Spirit of God moving in that church? Many times, right? I mean, ask Ananias and Sapphira how strong the Spirit of God was in that church, right? Pretty strong uh, church, pretty pretty strong spirit when Peter can just say one thing and people fall dead, right? I say some things and people fall asleep sometimes, but, you know, anybody fall dead, you know? Uh, and so uh, not quite the same, but, um, uh, but see, am I going to be envious because somebody's got to be, well, they don't deserve a big church. Well, who am I to judge that, right? It's unworthy, you know, they don't even teach the gospel like I teach it. This is envy and strife, right? So if I'm happy and, and glad for everybody, then the Lord can deal with it. You know, if there's sin going on, let the Lord deal with it. Is it in my job? You know, am I the pastor of the earth? Am I the head of the church? Well, then, then I, will, I refuse to be envious over anybody's church, you know, uh, you know, of the size of anybody's church, over the income that a pastor makes or anything, right? Uh, uh, and so because if I'm envious, then there's going to be strife and then what's going to follow? confusion, and every evil work, right? Because if I stand up in a pulpit and, and rail against a big church, number one, you all are going to be confused because I'm thinking, well, I thought we wanted our church to grow. Don't we want our church to grow? Why, why is a pastor against big churches? Does, you know, does he not want a big church? No. You're going to be confused, aren't you, right? That's just, and then what are you going to do? Well, then you're going to go out and say, well, you know, I guess bad, big churches are bad. Well, that church over there is no, no good, you know? And I remember one time somebody stood up in the church and I encourage you, don't ever do this because I would have to shut this one down immediately. But they stood up in the church and said, Pastor, this is the best church around. I said, I've been to that big church over there. And they, they named it. It's not on any account. This church is way better than that church. You know what that is? And be in strife. And we ain't having none of that around here. I'll shut it down. And, you know, if that makes people mad and they leave, I'd much rather have people that are full of envy and strife leave than people with envy and strife stay and breed strife and in every evil work or confusion in every evil work. Amen. Uh, and, you know, uh, everybody that's left the church is not full of envy and strife. You know, we're not going to judge anybody that's left the church because if they want to come back, you know, I don't want to have any, any ill will against them in my heart when, the, when and if they come back, right? Uh, and so if they leave, I'll just, well, Lord, that's between you and them, right? Uh, none of my business. Amen. Uh, and so, so Paul was saying people are actually preaching out of only envy and strife. And to me, that's such a big, I know he just kind of says it, you know, in verses 15 through 18. Um, but that's a big problem in the church. In fact, uh, Dr. Ed Dufresne asked Brother Hagin one time, he said, Brother Hagin, he said, how many people that are standing in a pulpit as pastors today shouldn't be there? And he said, Brother Hagin actually dropped his head. He said, more than you'll ever know. Uh, and, and I know, I mean, I've had people just tell me, oh, you got to hear this guy. You got to hear this guy. He's the best, you know, minister, pastor, whatever in the world, you know. And I'm thinking, you know, you're telling that to me, right? I'm a pastor, right? I mean, you know, are, does that mean I'm no good? You know, I mean, I don't know. You know, I'm not insecure, but, you know, uh, uh, you know, and I don't need for me. I don't need you to pet on me and tell me how wonderful of a pastor I am. I already know I'm a wonderful person, you know, and so, you know, I don't need you to tell me that. But 
there, and so, you know, I turned it on and watched it. It's like, it wasn't, a, wasn't an ounce of anointing on a single word that person said. Not even an ounce of anointing. And if there's no anointing, it's all intellect. And if it's all intellect, I can get intellect all day long. I don't need anybody else's intellect. You know, I've got plenty of intellect on myself. Uh, and yet they were just, they were just bragging about this person, you know, and I'm thinking, well, that, there's no, if there's no anointing, then they're not called, you know, well, let me, let me back it up. If there's no anointing, I question whether they were called because the Lord anoints his word. He anoints his calling, right? And if there's no anointing, either they're in rebellion and refuse to yield to the spirit of God, or they were never called to begin with. And so, I mean, how, how to judge that? None of my business of whether they're called or not, but I wouldn't listen to that. I wouldn't, you know, there's been people I've, you know, just about to take my shoe off and throw it at my TV. It's like, I can't believe they just said that, you know. It's terrible doctrine and things like that, you know. Uh, but uh, but just, just uh, um, for you, uh, uh, you know, if you're not standing in the pulpit, you know, because Paul's talking about people standing in the pulpit. For you, if you're not standing in the pulpit, all that matters to you is are you in the will of God? Right? Are you in the church where the will of God wants you to be there? See, then you're good. Because I believe if the, if the person behind the pulpit was there due to envy and strife, that the Lord would, would either have you leave or have you there to help, right? Maybe the, you need, need to help the pastor find his path, you know? Um, and, and so, um, but you've got the Holy Spirit in you. See, that, that to me, that, that makes everything even. I've got the Holy Spirit in me. You've got the Holy Spirit in you. So if I'm full of envy and strife, I believe you'd know. And if you were sincere, I think the Lord would show you, right? I think if you were honest and, uh, and cared about the truth, I think the Lord would show you that, Hey, the pastor's full of envy and strife. You know, you need to go on, right? You need to move on. Uh, and so, so is this a problem in the church today? Still a problem in the church today. Amen. And why does the church as a whole struggle so much? Because it's this stuff right here. People get mad. I mean, I know people, they'll, they'll show, you know, I know one, one church in particular, they would show like, uh, like Joel Osteen stuff. And then they just rail against him. You know, or, you know why are you railing against, you know, how many people you reckon... Joel Osteen has helped him last year. You know, uh, I'll tell you this and we'll go. Uh, you know, there's a fellow. Uh, in fact, uh, I know uh, Mr. Edward there was, uh, knew, knew about this minister, about uh, the Ernest Angley, right? Remember Ernest? Anybody remember Ernest? <laughs> he was just wild guy, you know, and just, you know, the, the, the old proverbial be healed, you know, kind of a thing people make fun of. Well, that, he was kind of the one that was big proponents of that, right? Super... Uh, flamboyant and charismatic, you know, and I know nothing about his ministry. I mean, I watched him maybe 30 seconds of my life, you know, just, just enough to go, not really my flavor, you know, and just kind of moved on, right? I didn't, you know, rally against him. And so, uh, but this friend of mine at, at work, he was super, super Baptist kind of guy, but he loved the argument of the word, you know, didn't like the actual doctrine of the word, just loved to argue the word. And, and so, uh, you know, so every now and then I try to help him out there, but you know, he didn't have want to hear nothing about anything of any value, you know. So, but one day he said, "What do you think about Ernest Angley?" He said, "What is he doing? He's trying to set me up, right? Trying to, trying to get me to run somebody down." I said, "Well, I said, uh, as soon as I get as many people born again as he has, I will probably have something to say about him. But until then, I've got nothing to say." What are you going to say, right? I mean, Ernest Angley had a big ministry, right? Thousands of people go to his services, right? He probably helped. Thousands of people prayed for tens of thousands of people, probably got thousands or tens of thousands of people born again. Who cares what his hair looked like? Who cares what his accent was, right? Uh, that's, if he got 10,000 people born again, that's, that's a lot more than I've gotten born again in my ministry in life, you know? Uh, so why am I going to rail against him? Amen? Uh, and so the best thing is just leave it alone. Amen? And see, then you won't be full of envy and strife. But see, these people, they get mad because somebody's got a really large ministry. Well, you know, they don't deserve it, you know. I mean, how many people rail against Kenneth Copeland or Jesse Duplantis, you know? Do I agree with everything they say? No, I don't ever agree with everything they say. Uh, but my envious of their, their Gulf Stream, you know, I don't need a Gulf Stream jet. If I had one, I mean, it only takes me about 11 minutes to drive to work from my house to the church. I mean, it would take me longer than that to get in the airplane and fire it up to get over here, right? So, I mean, I don't need a jet airplane. Uh, and so, uh, glad he's got one. You know, hope he gets five of them, right? I mean, none of my business, amen? Because I, I, will, I will not have any envy and I will not have any strife in my life uh, because it's just going to fester and, and breed other terrible things, amen? So these are good, good warnings for us, amen? Good warnings for the church and really specifically good warnings for 
the ministers. Why are we here? Why am I standing behind this pulpit? What's my goal and ambition in life? My goal and ambition in life is to increase the faith of the people that listen to the word that we teach. Amen. That's really my primary greatest desire in life. If I can increase anybody's faith, then I, I will feel like I'll have accomplished something. Amen. Uh, and so let's pray and thank the Lord for his word today. So, Father, we thank you for your word. And, Father, we thank you for the blessings of your word. We thank you, Father, that your word is true. And that sometimes, Father, you do warn us to be cautious of things, to be aware of our own lives, to ensure that there are no uh, episodes of envy and strife, no desires for the things that other people have, no anger because somebody else is blessed, Father, and no desire to, to, to stir up strife in the lives of the church or the church members, Father. Uh, we will, we will uh, ban all envy and strife from our lives and from our churches, Father. And if we do that, Lord, then we, we thank you that your spirit will be able to move freely among us and increase us and do great and mighty things in our midst. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Um, um, is the Lord good? Amen. Anybody ever seen any envy and strife in churches? <laughs> it's just terrible, isn't it? Amen. Uh, well, come ahead, Mr. Jared. We'll receive this evening's offering. And... Um, um, the Lord is good. Amen. Uh, and so, you know, I think that we as a church have an advantage because Chris and I lived through a lot of that stuff and we're very aware of how it works and very aware of it, uh, it occurring and how it can occur in a church, uh, and how it will just completely snuff the life out of a church, the spirit of God, right? I mean, people will still come and all that, but the spirit of God won't come, won't be around all that mess. Uh, and um, we want to have the Spirit of God free to move in our midst. Amen. Uh, and so come ahead, Mr. Jared, and receive the offering. So don't forget, on Friday we have our uh, prayer service at 7 p.m. So we'll be here at 7 o'clock for that. Uh, and, um, and then Sunday uh, we'll have first our morning service, and then um, our business meeting, and then our um, uh, church meal, and, of course, at 3 o'clock, we'll have healing school. Amen. All right. We'll be blessed. Have a wonderful week, Lord, and we'll see you all later.